This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Candace Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Now today we're bringing you another Autopad episode. It's been a while, hasn't it, Candace? It definitely has. We need to do these more often. We just get so busy with all the things and having exciting guests on the show. I know. So in these episodes, Candace and I discuss one stock idea each and go through why we think it's a buy, hold or sell at the moment. That's right. So if you're currently listening and thinking, mm, I need a new idea because because I've got some cash built up, or maybe you've taken some profits recently. Well, this episode, we hope, is just for you to bring you some inspiration to consider for your own investment portfolio. Now, please remember, our chat today is not personal advice. Even though we're registered advisors at Shore and Partners, please note the podcast and the content discussed does not constitute financial advice, nor is it a financial product. And the content on this podcast is general in nature, and you should seek appropriate professional advice before making any financial decisions. Everything that we're actually talking about is based on facts known at the time, which is the 16th of May, 2023. Very, very well said. So as always, do your own research. We're going to talk about a couple of different investable ideas for the portfolio for you to consider. But before we get into those stock ideas, we want to briefly update you on the market situation. We're really finding it very fascinating to hear from the positive and the negative sentiments and talking points about the market conditions at the moment. So firstly, Felicity, what are the bulls saying? Yeah, we're really liking our bull and bear chat. So number one, the disinflation narrative has traction as core services excluding OER and rent slowed down to just 0.1, the smallest increase since July 2022. Number two, outside of used car prices, core CPI saw smallest increase since 2021. Number three, data also confirmed start of slowdown in shelter measures seen in March. That's all good or positive. Number four, the widely anticipated Fed Senior Loan Officer Opinion Survey did not suggest any notable change in behaviour amid recent stress in the banking sector. So the NFIB survey did not reveal any signs of new credit strains for small businesses. So that's quite positive. Number five, there's been some key beat surprise metrics for Q1 remained elevated and seemingly more important. So the BOFA pointed out guidance ratio strongest in two years and 2023 S&P 500 EPS has started to bottom despite all the concerns heading into earnings season about the downside risk to estimates. And number six, not all the sell side strategists are cautious. Um, so Stifle, so Barry Bannister actually raised its S&P 500 target by 5% to 4,400 points, which actually highlighted an encouraging sign of economic resilience in mid-2023. So supporting cyclicals and noted the rising EPS beat miss ratio favourable for near-term upside. So the bulls really sticking in their corner of being positive that things aren't as bad as they seem. Candice, what about the bears? Look, time will tell, right? Well, the bears are definitely st- 
still in their corner or their cave. (laughs) And there's a lot more concerns at the moment, particularly around the narrowing market leadership, you know, with the recent tech outperformance driven mostly by the AI hype. Wells Fargo's noted that 48% of S&P 500 companies are actually down year to date. So apart from the, you know, five to 10 big names, everyone else is actually down on, on earnings. Also looking at the Fed, you know, their pauses have tended to offer a bullish signal for risk assets or growth assets. And some strategists pointed out that the signal breaks down in a high inflationary environment. Also, bank stocks are getting hit again um, on continued concerns about the fallout from Fed tightening. And there's a lack of meaningful regulatory response and earnings risk. Really, this point has not really gone away since March. Everyone in the bear camp just thinks they're ignoring the banking potential crisis and the next shoe to drop, which, you know, in terms of if we look at the other part of the market that's kind of spooking it in terms of initial claims, they're the highest since October 2021, while Zip Recruiter flagged a broadcast slowdown in demand for recruiting services. So labour still has issues. Core CPI, you mentioned that Felicity, it's still firmly sticky and stagflation. It's still above 5%. It's not going down fast enough. Perhaps we're not going to get back to, you know, what global central banks want it to be, which is 2 to 3%. So this leads to the question of is there more rate rises to come? Oh gosh, I hope not. <laughs> we all do. But look, they might have to just keep driving that train until they really get inflation down. Until it crashes. Another point, <laughs> well, that's right, um, which which seriously, they could be doing that, threatening that massively in the US. Another um, very talking point is over in the US, particularly there is a significant amount of banks that are looking like tightening lending standards are going up and it's been as high as July 2020. So harder for the banks to give out credit, which, you know, overall is not great for the economy, while demand for business loans has been the weakest we've seen since October 2009. And then the final point, you know, back to small business, their optimism levels, and there's actually an index you can track, that's the lowest level it's ever been since 2013. And the average interest paid on loans is the highest it's been since October 2007, GFC period. So we have a lot of points for bears and bulls. I'd be interested to see what our listeners are thinking. So send us an email or reach out to us on our Instagram. If you haven't gathered, if you've listened to our show for a couple of episodes now, it's been really equal weighted from the bulls and the bears perspective. Basically, the it no one really knows. People are getting caught out. A lot of forecasts are getting it wrong. I think we're really, as I know the term is very annoying, in uncharted territory. So from that perspective, we remain cautious on the markets and we have been taking profits where it's appropriate for our clients and their risk appetite and also looking at more defensive investments, not only in the traditional fixed income buckets like bonds and credit and hybrids, but also taking a bit more of a defensive stance and approach when it comes to growth investments and assets. Yeah. And what we mean by that is it just means we're going underweight the more higher risk and speculative ideas, which perhaps are not yet profitable and we need to wait a longer duration for them to really take off. We still own them, but we just have a smaller weighting to protect the portfolio while the macro data is telling us that things are uncertain. Mind you, Candice, I think since we started this podcast, it's been an absolute roller coaster in the share market anyway. <laughs> yeah, it really has been. We, we need those stable times, but maybe they're, you know, 25 and beyond, who knows? So from our perspective, when it is uncertain, look, markets hate uncertainty. Therefore, go back to basics, having the right level of risk that you're comfortable as an investor 
throughout all market cycles, that's key. That's it. And it just depends on your time frame for investment as well. I think that's really important. All right. So now we've done the bulls and the bears. Let's kick it off with your buy idea first then, Candice. What investable idea are you liking at the moment? So I know we just went on about being cautious, but (laughs) so if you're a growth investor, I'm just going to put that as the preference before I reveal my stock idea. I think this is one you can't ignore now. Um, The market obviously is volatile, like we've just been chatting about, but if you think for a five year time horizon, I don't think you can ignore Tesla. The market cap sits around 527 billion and the ticker, if you're not aware, is TSLA. Look, not really a shocker this one. Um, Clients of ours would have got a note from us last week that we are bullish on Tesla now. It is a well-known company because it's the leading manufacturer of electric vehicles, powertrain components, and the whole energy generation and storage products. It's really becoming a global storage network rollout here. And as we heard, if you dialed into the investor call, because that's what I like to do, I'm a bit of a nerd. (laughs) Elon Musk is developing um, a network of superchargers and stations globally. And he's really going large scale with this. And he's looking at full integration um, with the lithium ion battery manufacturing facility in the US to really service his entire supply chain. So for the bull case, Felicity, when I was listening to the earnings call, I took away this major statement that the senior managers mentioned. The company's not just limiting themselves to being manufacturers of electric vehicles, but they're also aspiring to be the leading company in energy generation and storage. So senior management cited, uh, that they even quoted in fact, that they're going down the Amazon route and they want to own the entire supply chain. Wow, that's a really smart play. So complete diversification there. So in terms of their latest financials, how did they go? So it was all over the place. <laughs> EBIT was a miss by 8% um, and in terms of guidance and what we track through UBS. They had 11.4% margin on miss in their auto um, gross margins. EPS was a slight beat though overall. It was a weird overall earnings call because the numbers weren't fantastic. But if you looked through that and obviously with Musk being very kind of distracted, I'll say, with Twitter of late. If you looked all through that, again, as a growth investor five years, I think we can't ignore the the amazing kind of supply chain story that Tesla's about to roll down. Absolutely. And I think Tesla's used to be more exclusive and now they're really going down that mass market. So I guess what were the most noteworthy areas in the results that um, you want to bring on the Autopad? So for me, it was 19% of auto gross sales, X credits that they achieved. It was a miss in GM uh, in terms terms of their fully explained through the manager's perspective of higher cogs. And I'll get to that in a moment. OPEX was flat quarter on quarter, slightly better than expected. And overall, it was a little bit of a weaker free cash flow um, uh, result, which was uh, 0.4 billion. Overall though, I'll get back to the cogs. You know, like you just said then, Felicity, before it was, you know, when I say before, five, 10 years ago, it was really a luxury item because the cost to purchase a Tesla was so high. Now costs have coming down massively. It's more mass market. And that's the opportunity that I'm seeing roll out globally. So has the company's outlook and I guess guidance 
since changed. So Tesla's still guiding for about 1.8 million vehicles to be delivered for this calendar year in 23. And only recently, like a few days ago, Musk appointed a new CEO, Linda Yaccarino, hopefully with the focus on bringing back advertisers and more revenue income streams to the platform. And look, it's safe to say that the battery powered vehicles market is really taking over massively the, the whole automotive market. Taking a step back to look at this trend, the growth of EVs as a market has been significant despite the COVID-19 pandemic challenges and supply chain issues and bottlenecks. So with all that being going on, we've still had record EV sales going up at a fast rate. If this trend continues, which I think it will, it will surpass sales of normal petrol vehicles and hybrid vehicles. Compared to 2020, sales of new EV cars more than doubled in 2021 with an increase of 108%. So overall, as we're kind of chatting about this market today, looking back to kind of predict what the future will hold, EV sales were about 5% of global passenger cars in 2021. It's predicted to be nearly 50% within the decade. So it's also interesting that China topped the global sales chart in 2021 with more EV vehicles sold than the rest of the world combined and almost five times more than Germany, which was in second place. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. And I think that's a part of this thematic that investors maybe forget about because they just think Tesla, they just think the US and developed markets. But the Asian market is key for global expansion and mass adoption. The Chinese market, you know, grows as impressive as it's been to date, comes down to a couple of things, which is a whole other episode, but just for brief, (laughs) you know, comments, they have really great subsidies, the Chinese government. Secondly, they have increasing range of mini electric vehicles. They're quite cute and very affordable, which works really well in um, mass population cities. And they're more affordable brands coming to the market, not just Tesla. So tick, tick, tick. So a lot of investors listening would know about Tesla. I mean, I think everyone knows about Tesla potentially even already own shares in Tesla. But can you sum up for us your top reasons why you're wanting to buy Tesla now? Yeah, and if you don't directly own Tesla, firstly, I would argue you probably maybe have an ETF that has exposure to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And this is why, because Tesla now accounts for about 1.3 weighting of the US S&P 500 and about 3% of the NASDAQ. So if you're in any type of ETF that tracks those two indices, you can't ignore Tesla. You are invested in it. So for me, there's there's a few key reasons why we like Tesla and we think it's a good addition for growth investors at the moment. Firstly, they're innovative tech. Tesla really ha- does have cutting edge technology in electric cars and sustainable energy solutions in miles ahead of its competitors. Great that it was the first to market here. And with a wide range of car models that are eco-friendly, efficient and luxurious, Tesla has become a top choice for many consumers and they can just keep building on their new products. Okay, I like that point. So what about two? So we also can't ignore their expansion into markets beyond cars. Tesla is expanding into its scope from not only just producing the EVs, but to also other clean energy solutions, solar panels, energy storing products. This market expansion, you know, to me represents a significant opportunity for growth in coming years. There's also talk of a car. Obviously he loves spaceships. Like it's never ending this whole thing. So basically Elon is trying to take over the world. <laughs> could be. Yeah. Um, really could be. And what is your third key buy reason? Well, for C, 
you can't ignore the financials. Look, it was rubbish up until about probably two years ago, <laughs> um, but now it's ticking a lot of boxes. So firstly, it's got a strong shareholder base that are weirdly loyal as well <laughs> and they have a robust balance sheet, Musketeers. a clear vision for the future. Musketeers, that's a good one. They're in actual a great revenue position recently. So costs have come down, which we spoke about earlier. There's significant evidence to support that EV vehicles offer car manufacturings a premium revenue stream and a higher profit margin than to, at the moment, the FAD being the hybrid plug-in model. So it's forecasted that by 2024, EV revenue as a market will generate about $100 million 190 million, sorry, US versus about 47.5 million US for plug in hybrids. So, way more profitable car. Then you have the opportunity of charging stations revenue, which Tesla's only just really getting into the US at the moment. Let's see what happens globally there. Okay, so you've given us three good buy reasons. What's your fourth? So the fourth is taking a step back and just looking at the demand and the global outlook. So we know that Tesla's guiding to 1.8 million vehicles this year. That assumption is that the EV market globally, by 2030, the penetration of EV total passenger cars will be about 45%, almost 50%, like I said earlier. So if you look at the key metrics for not just Tesla, but the whole EV market and opportunity, revenue in this space is projected to reach $207 billion by 2023. Revenue is expected to show an annual growth rate or CAGR of 14.8% from 2023 out to 2027, resulting in you know projected market volumes of about $361 billion sales, that's USD, by 27, 2027. Another key point is that electric vehicles in terms of their unit sales is expected to reach 8.17 million vehicles sold by 2027. Coming back to costs, it's only getting cheaper by 2030. So the end of this calendar year, it's expected to cost about 45 grand per vehicle. So that's pretty good. And from an international perspective, it's forecasted that most of the revenue will actually come from China. Wow, they are some really solid growth numbers. So do you know the Asian figures? According to a couple of different reports, but one that I looked at closely um, for this autopad was the McKinsey report. China is leading the way for EV sales. It's about 16% of the total market at the moment and expected to rapidly grow But what's interesting, Felicity, is that, you know, China and Japan is leading the way, but emerging Asia in terms of India and APEC region is really lagging. So in 2021, EV sales made up in that area of emerging Asia markets less than 1% of new vehicle sales. So that has a lot of catching up to do. China obviously is kind of the driving force going forward. And if we also look at US and how as a proven market, you know, kind of traction, currently the US in the market alone um, of 2022, EV sales were up 54% year on year. Tesla made up 50% of that growth. Wow. So good track record to show the past of Tesla's track record once it really gets into other developing markets and emerging markets should be very profitable. And then the final point is name recognition. Investors can't ignore it. You know, buying a new car as a consumer, you can't ignore it. It's really a a unique approach and has innovative products that's going in the full supply chain. Um, So for us, 
here at Talk Money to Me. I've been an investor. I'm getting back in. I think, Felicity, you already own Tesla as it is. It's very common. You probably already have a couple of ETFs with exposure to it. Look, now that Musk is hopefully focusing back on this space and moving away from Twitter, stock down about 11% in the last month. I think this is a good position or timing to look at adding it or topping it up to your portfolio. In terms of the current price, you know, it's sitting around 166 US per share. The market has a screaming overweight call at the moment. That just means go, you know, higher than the um, index weighting and they place a price target of $190. UBS is even more bullish at 220. So we're looking at around 14.5% upside to reach conservatively the price target of $190 per share, Felicity. That's it. And that's just a 12-month price target. It's not really taking into consideration the next 5, 10, 20 years. So with that, hopefully you've taken something useful away from that first stock to be added to the order pad. Now, don't go away. We're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we're back, we're going to reveal Felicity's stock idea. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, Felicity, so what idea are you bringing to this Autopad? Okay, I've got a really good, exciting idea for the Autopad, but I kind of just want to have a few comments on this EV lithium play. A company called Alkane, which would have been in the news as of late, it's a very interesting company to watch. So it actually formed a merger, it was actually formed by a merger between Oricobra and Galaxy Resources in August 2021. I think when we first started Talk Money to Me, I actually spoke about Galaxy Resources being the first share I've ever owned. Now, Alkeem, so AKE, is a top five global lithium producer with operations in brine, spodumene and hydroxide. AKE is geographically diverse, so it operates out of Argentina, Australia, Canada and Japan. Now, this is an ASX 200 giant and it's actually set to merge with US lithium giant Levent. LTHM is the code. Now, if this merge actually goes ahead, it would see a US 10.6 billion lithium giant emerge. And it would actually result in Alkeem investors receiving one share in the new company, which they're calling Newco, for every Alkeem share owned. And Levent investors would receive 2.406 Newco shares for every Levent share owned. Now, after the merge is complete, Alkeem investors would own about 56% of the merged company. So how would it work, this whole transaction? Well, Nuco would then be primarily listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Conversely, ASX investors would own their new shares through a new chest depository interest or CDI arrangement. Okay, so similar to like with Afterpay, when Block bought it out 
two, three years ago. Was that right? That's it, exactly. So this new combined company would have made US $1.9 billion in revenue in the 2022 calendar year. It would have also produced an estimated US $1.2 billion of EBITDA. Wow. Yeah, right? So a huge lithium giant. And I thought pretty relevant when you're talking about Tesla. Now, Goldman Sachs is really cheering on this merger, saying that Nuco will be, again, the top three global lithium producer. They've got a huge, strong balance sheet that it can use to support future growth opportunities. Now, obviously, it's not a done deal yet, but I think it's particularly interesting for investors that are already in AKE. 100%. That is very, very interesting, Felicity, and we will definitely be watching that closely. So, is that your stock idea? No, that's not my stock idea, but I think it was just too hard not to talk to about ignore. it, right? Too too relevant right now. I mean, UBS did have a price target of about $19 on it. I think they dropped it to around $15 and I think it's around 14 something at the moment. Yeah, 1487 as of uh, to the day we're recording, 16th of May, everyone. So very interesting. But today I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to go back to uranium. Ah, I could have guessed that one. You're really loving that sector at the moment, aren't you? I really am. So I'm going to go with Peninsula Energy. The code is P-E-N, so PEN on the ASX. Um, Now, this is an ASX-listed company that owns the Lance Uranium Project in Wyoming in the USA, which are in transition from an alkaline to a low pH in-situ recovery operation. Now, the Lance Project requires low upfront capital and can rapidly restart post a financial investment decision. I think what's really important here is Penn is the only ASX company with direct exposure to the US government initiatives with pro-domestic mine development. Yeah, that's a really good point. What's their market cap at the moment? So the market cap, of course, it's a micro cap. It's 188 million market cap (laughs) and it's around 15 cents per share at the moment. (laughs) Love it, love it. All right, we do know a lot about, you know, uranium. And if you haven't yet listened to the episode with John Borshoff, we recommend you do. But why do you think Penn now and more broadly uranium for Penn? Now, the uranium market continues to return to life after the decade lost post Fukushima. And if you actually listen to our episode with John Borshoff, he goes into that in a lot more detail. Um, But basically, Trade Tech, which is the leading uranium consulting group, really outlined the high level of utility buying in the term market. So volumes in 2022 reached 120 million pounds of uranium sold, which is actually the third business year since 2001 and the highest since 2012. Now, 2023 is set to exceed that level with 50 million pounds already contracted in the March quarter. Now we can see the uranium price is trending upwards due to the looming supply deficits, lengthy development timeframes, increased spot market activity and geopolitical uncertainties. So we really do expect to see at least US $80 per pound this cycle. Yeah, that'd be good. So you did mention that they have a direct line, the company in terms of into the US government initiatives. So what about recent highlights and just touching on that project in Wyoming? Yeah, so the construction of Penn's flagship Lance project in Wyoming has commenced work and work streams are on schedule for production restart in mid-2023. So like I said earlier, Peninsula is the only ASX company with direct exposure to the US government initiatives. Just let that sink in because it's very pro-mining development. Now, Peninsula delivered 300 kilopounds to the US government in March 23. So we're looking like we're already basically 
bicycling in production. Now, number two, Penn has an existing contract booked and productivity inventory with a binding purchase agreement netting a cash margin of US 7.8 million in CY 2021 and US 9 million in calendar year 2022. Now the company has long-term sales contracts extending to 2033 up to 5.25 million pounds at US 56 to 58 per pound and U308 with major utilities across Europe and the US. All right, so on quick mass if I'm getting this right, 5.25 million pounds at their lower um, US pricing of 56 is 294 million. So that's good. And then you said earlier that it, you know, is forecast to get up to 80 US. So that's a lot of legroom there for growth. What is your third point? Yeah, so I think it's important to note that Peninsula is switching operations from high to low pH in order to increase product yields. The result of an 18-month field demonstration actually indicated that targeted low pH chemistry and field patterns are effective in dissolving and recovering uranium. Now, after some initial delays in receiving some long lead time items, construction is now progressing really well. The first of the two large acid storage tanks have been installed and the second has been received on on site and will be installed soon. Now, pre-production circulating flows have been established in the MU-1 at a rate of approximately 500 gallons per minute. Now, this flow rate would increase through May and June in preparation for the first production in mid-23 and the well patterns are being pre-acidified, but no flow is being directed to the process plant whilst it's being modified. Now, number four, Penn is well capitalised for the restart of stage one with US 26 million of cash as of the 31st of March 23. Now stage one will lift production to 0.82 million pounds of production per annum for a total cost of US 24.7 mil, which includes US 8.4 mil upfront and US 16.3 mil on the well field over two and a half years. Then we've got stage two, which will take production to 2 million pounds per year and will require additional investment of US. 70 million. Now, Penn's peak funding requirement to cash flow positive is US 60 million. So they will need to raise additional capital to get to stage two, which is probably maybe two, three years away. That's it, or debt. So we'll see what they end up doing there. So I guess why now? Coming back to the big question of why in today's market. So like we said, it's in a great jurisdiction in the US. They've obviously had some delays and long lead time, but it's now fully back on track. So we've very interesting to see if they do reach their targets of first commercial production, you know, basically in the next couple of months um, and first sales at the end of this year. You know, the capital cost estimates remain in line with the DFS from August 2022. So that's good. That's always good. And I think we'll really just highlight here that the US government is very, very supportive of domestic mine development, especially when it comes to green energy. Now, we've got a price target of 34 cents. It's currently around 15 cents. So our price target is based on 1.3 times the multiple of our base case valuation. So really 100% returns if it all really plays out. That would be amazing. But I guess coming back to what we said at the start of this episode, Felicity Wright, obviously if you're a growth investor, these are great ideas for you to consider, but go back to the level of risk that you're comfortable with, right? It is a micro cap and in Tesla's situation, it's a mega cap, but some people still think it's too expensive on the PE multiple. Yeah, I think we can look at both ideas, Tesla and Penn, and say they're quite volatile shares. 
Um, so you need to be holding on for the ride. Yeah, going with caution. So that is a wrap on today's Autopad episode. We hope you enjoyed it and took some good insights away from what's going on in the markets. As we said, we'd love to hear if you're a bull or a bear at the moment. So before we sign off, please remember we did speak a lot about different companies and valuations. Although Felicity and I are financial advisors at Shoring Partners, this chat and discussion today does not constitute as personal financial advice. As always, go out and seek your own professional financial advice before you make your investment decisions. That's right. And please feel free to reach out to us on social media or via our email, which is displayed in the show notes below. Make sure you follow our Instagram at Talk Money to Me podcast for daily market updates updates. Until next time. Talk Money to Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 